This podcast is brought to you by myself, Lenka, and my wonderful co-host, Natalie. I'm so excited because today we have a wonderful guest, Lucy, who is a registered nutritionist who specializes in female hormone conditions as well as perimenopause. I've met Lucy briefly online. It's been a relationship that's been via Zoom through networking. And when I reached out and, and said, you know, we're looking for guests to come and talk on this podcast, Lucy said, me, 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 which was wonderful. We always love having new guests and hormones, perimenopause, menopause, nutrition. These are all such important topics right now. They're topical, but they're also really important. And it's great that we can start to talk about them because the days of keeping quiet about the woman condition is passing by, which is wonderful. And I'm really excited to find out hormones, perimenopause, maybe a bit of menopause in there, how we can cope, how we can deal with it and what we can do to help ourselves be more healthy, have the right nutrition in our life. So with all that waffle, Lucy, welcome. And thank you so much for being here. And say hi and just give us a little bit of introduction on who you are and what got you started on this route. Oh, thank you so much, Natalie and Lenka. I'm delighted to be on the podcast today. Um, like you said, me and Natalie have met a couple of times and it's great to actually um, be taking part in this podcast today. So um, brief history for me. So I was a project manager for many, many years um, and always had a very, very deep passion for nutrition. And five years ago, I decided I wanted to, to basically go into nutrition for my career. So lots and lots of training, had my two children whilst I was training. And then last year, I opened the doors of Lucy Patel Nutrition, um, which is my third baby. And I very quickly realized that I really wanted to niche down into female hormone health um, and supporting women, because like you said, just then, Natalie, it is just such um, they are a very I feel like a lot of women have just sort of been abandoned to a degree in terms of hormone health. There's this insidious, you know, per periods are normal. It's natural. Perimenopause is natural. And as such, everyone should just be sort of getting on with it you know, their struggles don't matter, everyone goes through it, so it's it's fine, and you see a lot of, what I see is a lot of women getting dismissed, they're not being listened to, they feel completely unsupported, and they're just making their own way, they're stumbling through this period of their life, which, if you think about, you know, we menstruate for, what, 35, 40 years, it is unacceptable that women are struggling at various points throughout that, and, and not getting support. Um, so that was why, that was my driver, you know, to get into this particular um, area of nutrition. And like you said, nutrition is an extremely powerful um, support for all stages to support healthy cycles, healthy hormones, very complex area. There's always lots of things going on. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's sort of my, that's where I'm starting out. And I've got a very big, plans ahead I don't know if you've seen recently in the news that the government have, have released this women's health strategy which is great because it's starting to outline how women's health needs to form a much bigger part of workplace well-being education support for women in the workplace when they go through perimenopause because we hear all these horror stories of women being pushed out whether directly or indirectly 
when they get to that point where they're starting to struggle, you know, they're going to be perimenopause, the brain fog's kicked in and they just feel like they can't cope and they're not getting that support. So they end up leaving, they go part-time and they don't, you know, and it really impacts them. So the great thing about this strategy, I mean, time will tell whether it gets implemented, let's hope it does, but it's literally from primary school education all the way through to menopause, making, bringing women's health really to the fore, getting the conversation going, like you said, it can't be taboo. We can't be scared to talk about periods and perimenopause and hormones because it's a fact of life. It's a fact of life for 50% of the population. So we need to start talking. And doing this podcast is a great way of just opening that conversation so people start to feel like it's normal to talk about hormones. They're not there just hiding from it and not talking because they feel it's a bit of a, oh, we shouldn't talk about that with people because people will be like, it's inappropriate or whatever they might think. So, so yeah, that's... um. A long, the long version of um, sort of why I got into what I do, I guess. And as you said, it is important and what 50% of the population have perimenopause or, or, or menopause and have the, these issues that um, we're always put down to those women time of life and those yeah. women issues yeah, and exactly. we don't want to know about it. But hormones is something that I've never really thought much about it. And I've realized recently through doing, you know, learning about the brain and doing some neuroscience courses is that hormones impact the brain. So they're not just impacting us physically, but they impact our brain. They impact the way that we feel, the way that we react to things. And, and it was just wonderful to sort of connect the two the brains sort of how hormones are important for the brain but also the way they are important for our body so you talk about hormones and sort of perimenopause how connected are the two I mean can you focus on increasing your hormones to help with perimenopause or is there something that that we can do as as women or is it like a supplement or is it a bit more complicated than that? And I know I'm, I'm asking these questions because these are questions I've heard people asking. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, we get our food, we get our vitamins, we get our, you know, minerals from our food, but how do we get our hormones? How do we find ways to build them up to help us through the woman transition? Yes. <laughs> so the quite a few parts of that question. So the first one, how are hormones related to perimenopause? So if we touch on that one first. So I think one of the sort of misconceptions about perimenopause is that everyone automatically thinks it's when your period starts to get irregular. That's the, the sort of first sign of perimenopause. Whilst it can be for some people, for a lot of women, the perimenopause symptoms can start with the sort of the brain fog, the anxiety, their periods are fine, they're regular, they're predictable. It's the sort of emotional, psychological symptoms that can often kick in first, which is why a lot of women don't realize that they're actually going through perimenopause. They just suddenly think, why, why can't, why do I suddenly feel like I can't cope? Why, is, why do I feel so anxious? Why do I feel so stressed? Why am I forgetting words? All these little things that creep in, which is ultimately to do with, so perimenopause ultimately is your estrogen and progesterone starting to reduce. So they normally, through, through your reproductive years, they operate on a pretty predictable cycle for most people. When perimenopause hits, your estrogen and progesterone start to reduce. That's the sort of basics of perimenopause. Now, 
yes, it is natural. Every woman is going to have to go through perimenopause and come out the other side into menopause. Um, but it's how some women go through perimenopause without any symptoms. They just sail through. But the fact is it can last, it can last up to 10 years. The average is about five, but it can last between two and 10 years is the perimenopausal transition. You know, menopause itself is is actually easier because that's when your periods have stopped for 12 months and you sort of through it then perimenopause is actually more challenging because that's when you're actually going through this transitionary phase from reproductive your reproductive phase of life to your um, to menopause so i think just having an understanding that if symptoms do start to kick in there's lots of options so hrt is one of them um some women do choose to, in terms of you asked me if you can increase your hormones. Now, you can't, you can to a degree, if you're, what we're really bothered about with perimenopause is the balance of your hormones. So are estrogen, progesterone balanced. So are they actually still, even though they're reducing, are they still working in sync with each other, if that makes sense? If estrogen suddenly plummets or progesterone suddenly plummets, that's when you start to get these maybe more severe obvious symptoms progesterone is linked particularly to things like anxiety so progesterone helps you feel calm it helps you feel you know that sort of feeling of resilience that you can cope estrogen is more around confidence linked to a lot more of the physical symptoms like the night sweats and um you know reduction in your libido and things like that so you can there's testing that you can do so you can test your hormones while you're in perimenopause just to see what is actually going on you know where are your estrogen levels where are your progesterone levels and you can also check for things like stress hormones as well because most women that i see in their 40s their stress is through the roof because unfortunately that just seems to be the norm these days right everyone's stress and it's just become normal which is a shame because we then we've gone from this we're starting to confuse normal and common just because something is common doesn't mean it's normal and at the minute everyone is chronically stressed on the verge of burnout struggling but because everybody else is we go well that's just you know modern life everyone's doing too much and is too busy and all the rest of it so there's a definite education piece there when I see clients is that this isn't something that you should have that you should be dealing with you need to start taking care of yourself and especially when you get to perimenopause, when you get into your 40s and 50s, you need to start looking after yourself. You really need to start putting the time, investing that time back into yourself. Sleep, self-care, stress management are the three absolute musts when you're going through perimenopause. You can't scrimp on those and be healthy. Rest, relaxation, self-care have to really become part of your a much bigger part of your routine. In terms of naturally increasing your hormones, I think. The big focus with perimenopause is making sure that, like I said, first of all, that the estrogen and progesterone are balanced, but also that you're clearing and detoxifying your hormones. Because I think some people think that you produce hormones and they're just forever circulating around, circulating around your system. What's actually happening is that we're producing them and they last maybe a couple of days. And then we need to get really efficient with excreting them as well, which is the liver's job. Um, because then if you end up with a build of the estrogen, that's when you end up in this sort of estrogen dominant state, which is becoming more and more common. And that can lead to various issues, weight gain being the classic one during perimenopause, when women feel like they're just putting that middle weight on and they're like, my diet's great, I'm exercising, why am I putting weight on? It's generally because of poor estrogen clearance. Um, 
And then jumping back, HRT isn't something that I can prescribe because I'm not a medical professional, but HRT can be a very good um, strategy for some women. Very much depends on your symptoms. Some people like to try natural remedies first. They like to, like you said, approach things like diet, lifestyle, supplementation to see if they can get a handle on those symptoms. And then maybe later on, if they find that that's not working for them, they will move on to a combined HRT protocol under the care of their GP. The big thing with this is it's personal preference. There's no, there should be no judgment, no shame on whatever strategy a woman chooses to use to manage perimenopause. It's completely personal. Um, supplements you talked about. So supplementation, in my experience, can be very, very supportive for perimenopause if used in the right way. Um, what you don't want to do is just end up with 10 bottles in front of you and you're just taking like everything you can find and hold and barrett to try and like sort everything out. With supplementation, for me, it should be ideally short term and it should be absolutely targeted and personal to that person because if someone came to me with um, anxiety and poor sleep, I would not give them the same supplement as someone who was feeling like tearful and had brain fog. You have to look at the person and go, right, what is actually going on with you specifically? Are there any gut symptoms going on? You know, and looking at, I think personally, every woman should go to the doctor and have a full nutrition nutrient blood check you know b12 folate all the obvious ones that you can get done for free at the gp um but <laughs> what i have found as well unfortunately is that clients are really struggling to either get into the gp advocate for themselves to get the blood test and then they're finding it really hard to get the results <laughs> they get told everything's fine and then they're like can i have a copy of my results and not always but a lot of the time it's a battle so there is always private testing an option you know you can get a full nutrient blood check done online for like 60 quid two days you get your results and at least then you have your baseline and that's when you can start tracking you can see what your normal is and you can start assessing over time what is actually going on for you personally because reference ranges you know getting told you within the normal range isn't particularly helpful because that doesn't mean that that's right for you it just means that from a broad population perspective you're sort of where you need to be but you might have bigger needs than someone else, you know, so it's, it is, that's where personal, personalized nutrition can be really powerful. Um, so yeah, I think I've covered most aspects of that question. You mentioned the, the storing estrogen and you didn't use those words, but basically not getting rid of the estrogen and the, having the, the, that feeling of putting on weight even though you're healthy you're exercising that so how would you get rid of the estrogen is it like a going on a, a simple detox or is it drinking more water or is it more complicated than that so with estrogen dominance um there are some targeted supplements that you can use um that you'd have to get prescribed i don't think you can get them in the normal sort of supplement shop so um, you cruciferous, cruciferous vegetables are really key here for there's, there's basically grown into science here. So there's three ways to detoxify estrogen, three different pathways. And there's one super favorable pathway. And then there's two not so favorable pathways. And what you generally find with estrogen dominance is that women are clearing their estrogen in one of the not so great ways. And it's resulting in a buildup over time. So there's so cruciferous vegetables have various compounds in that can help push women 
more predominantly into that favorable pathway. Um, it takes time. It takes, you know, any protocol when it comes to nutrition, you need to give it sort of two to three months to take effect. Um, but there's a substance called DIM, so D-I-M, or indo-3-carbonyl are the two that you can supplement, but you can get them naturally through cruciferous vegetables. This is where broccoli sprouts are amazing. Broccoli sprouts have got the highest amount in there. So anyone who's struggling potentially with estrogen dominance, get your broccoli sprouts in and start putting them in all your salads and soups and smoothies and everything else. Um, but again, with estrogen dominance, you need to be looking upstream. You need to go, well, why? Why has this woman become estrogen dominant? Is there something going on with her liver? And if there's something going on with her liver and her detoxification, look through to the gut. What's going on with her gut? Is there dysbiosis? Is there bacterial overgrowth? Is there a food intolerance? And this is where what I do is piecing together all aspects of the puzzle. It's not just going, this woman has high estrogen, here's a supplement. It's going, well, why? Because you give them a supplement, yeah, short term, it can help, but that's not root cause. You need to go all the way upstream and go, well, why did we end up here in the first place? So the testing can give you that picture of what's going on. But then the strategy for helping that particular person needs to go deeper. And you need to understand what's going on with their life, their diet, their sleep, all the rest of it. What are the symptoms have they got? Um, any other medical, medical diagnoses that they might have? Um, any other medication that they're on? Because we all know that a lot of medication has side effects and then there's medication for the side effects. And especially as women get older, there is a more tendency to have to, to be on certain medications, whether it's for blood sugar control, blood pressure, um, cholesterol are the three classic ones that a lot of people end up on. Um, so it's taking that into account as well and just piecing all of these things together to help that person with a strategy that will hopefully last them years rather than another tablet. So supplementation needs to be used carefully with high quality. And I, you know, I don't get, I don't give my clients supplements from Holland and Barrett. No offense, there's probably some good ones, but quality with supplements is really, really important. Um, you know, the form, dosage, it needs to make sure that it is, like I said, personalized. So you mentioned that, you know, self-care and nutrition and rest and sleep is really important. I mean, it's important anyway, regardless mm -hmm. of whether you're in perimenopause or not. But is there something that, that women can do to, to help themselves to, to find a way to go through the day? Is it changing routine? Is it about exercising more or not exercising more? So I think for me, it very much depends on, you know, for me, it's getting an understanding of what that person's lifestyle is, because you see a lot of people out there touting self-care and they're saying, meditate first thing in the morning and do an hour of yoga and which is all great but for some women that's enough for them to go I don't have time for that that's just another thing you're adding to my list I don't have time I need something practical quick that I can do um so I think for me in terms of sleep it's eight hours and I think everyone should be getting eight hours minimum every single night so a lot of the work I do is mostly on the evening routine it's getting away from your phone. Social media is a huge one. A lot of women are scrolling social media and then lying their head on the pillow and going, oh, I can't get to sleep. <laughs> so having a really good, relaxing, wind down routine, doing something you enjoy. Now for me, it's reading. Every single night I read before I go to bed <laughs> for a half an hour. So a good wind down routine is key. And then when you wake up in the morning, you know, 
don't jump onto your phone straight away. The big one for me is leave your phone outside of the bedroom, have it downstairs. I think everyone should be able to do that. Your bedroom should be for rest, relaxation, sleep and sex. Ultimately, it shouldn't be for anything else. You shouldn't be working. You shouldn't be on social media. Your bedroom needs to be a haven, somewhere safe that when you go up at night, you go, right, it's nighttime now. It's just me, you know, feel that sense of relaxation. Um, in terms of the movement, now, the big one here, especially when women get to perimenopause, as your hormones start to drop, your muscle mass does start to decrease much quicker, much more quickly over the coming years into, into uh, menopause. So, you know, we're still in a bit of a, well, I grew up in a very cardio centric, you know, you've got to do cardio all the time to maintain your weight, et cetera. Um, weight training, resistance training, twice a week, ideally, especially once you're in perimenopause. This doesn't mean having to go to the gym and lift loads of weights. It can be things like Pilates classes, count, anything where you're doing weight bearing, um, certain forms of yoga as well, but incorporating really mindful movement, which is sort of part of your self-care regime as well. So you can sort of kill two birds with one stone, find an awesome Pilates class or yoga class, something really calming, maybe go with a friend, you know, find something, turn it into like a social event as well. Um, but that self-care, like I said before, has to become a non-negotiable. And I think one of the challenges that I found is that because women generally are having children later, a lot of my clients, once they're in perimenopause, they actually still have quite young children around. You know, their children are still maybe primary school age. So they still have a lot of responsibilities, caring responsibilities. Um, so I think it's asking for help, asking your other half, you know, finding, securing an evening a week, the way you can have that time for yourself and go and do whatever it is you want to do. We're still very much, depending on, you know, depending on the family, I guess, but a lot of women still take on a lot of that sort of life admin, caring up all the stuff that out sits outside of work. And I think women need to start pushing back more, asking for help pushing some of that responsibility back on a partner, a friend, whoever that might be, other family members and say, I need this time. I need a night a week to go and do something. Socialize, sleep, go to a class, whatever it might be. But I think a lot of women are afraid to ask. They just see it as their duty to just do everything. And then her self-care is like right at the bottom. If I've got any time left, then I'll go to a yoga class. But they'll never find that time because it's just... <laughs> It just won't happen. So I think the I think the one thing I heard that really resonated was that the more you invest time in yourself, the more you will show up for everybody else. You know, you can't pour from an empty cup. If you invest in yourself, your own self-care, your own energy, your own happiness, you are going to show up so much better for everybody else. And you'd be able to give more. If you're depleted, you're just not going to be there for, you know, you're not going to be the person you want to be. Um, so I think if you look at investing in yourself as actually doing investing in your family, children, your work colleagues, whatever it is that is important to you, that's a really good way of looking at it, I think. So it's it's almost educating, re-educating, mm -hmm. because you know, when I grew up, it was about, you know, three hours sleep and just go, 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 and you know, just deal with the stress and it just it just this constant pacing. And this was before smartphones and laptops yeah. and everything else. It was it was seen that if you could survive on two or three hours sleep, you were like a go-getter, you were ambitious. 
and it's having to re-educate people that actually two hours sleep is not the answer you need the eight hour sleep because mm -hmm. that gets in the the REM sleep and the getting you into the deltas and and all that and um there's a really good book by Matthew Walker um sleep or why we sleep and it it's such an eye-opener it it mm. shows us how important eight hours sleep is and then you mentioned eight hours and who's got the time to have eight hours sleep you know this this is the the reaction you get mm. but i love how you say you may make your bedroom your sanctuary you know don't mm. be on social media you know don't take your phone in, into the the bedroom i mean how many people use their phone as a, as, as an alarm clock you know, I've actually got a separate alarm clock that is not attached to my phone. And and the thing is, it it is about re-educating sleep because sleep is important and sleep also helps with dealing with stress. It helps with, you know, bringing down the, the stress levels and, and, you know, with the exercise and everything. So if nothing else, read the book because you really then think, oh my God, I need to have the sleep. I will find the time to have that sleep. Mm -hmm. If you work for yourself from home and I appreciate it, you've got young kids, it, it's, you might have to make a plan there, but you can choose when to start work. You know, if you're employed and you have to be at work at eight o'clock in the morning, you might not be able to, to choose to get up at seven o'clock or so you can really it's finding ways to have more sleep it's finding ways to take that time out so not only are you having to educate people on the importance of sleep but also educating women that guess what you don't have to do everything yeah rope the husband or the partner in get them to contribute we're not living in the 1940s anymore where you know i man i go work i bring back home bacon you wife you stay home you cooking you cleaning and this is how it was yeah. you know i get home where's my dinner woman <laughs> this is gone and and i think okay. that women need to as well say you know what i'm happy you're the man but guess what <laughs> yeah. pick up that vacuum cleaner and yeah. help um so it is it 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 is about educating and relearning what we've been taught maybe as 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 kids what we've been taught through society and finding ways to de-stress or not have so much stress on us hmm. which is easier said than done and this is one of the reasons why we are creating this podcast you know into your life is about finding ways to live your life in in a more harmonious way mm. so i love that you brought up sleep i think it's it's yeah. it's a fantastic it's so important i think anyone who reads that book like i read that book and i was like i'm never scrimping on sleep ever again and i don't i never scrimp on sleep <laughs> no matter what happens half past nine i'm in bed um but you're right and, and i think it, it is a shift you know undoing you know decades of what you've been taught what you've been exposed to the messaging you've been hearing it doesn't happen overnight and it is to, it takes its consistency and that's why you know sometimes just baby steps like for example we talked about sleep just if you did nothing but look at that look at your nighttime routine 
and then write down what you want it to look like and just start to say you're going to bed at midnight and you're getting up at six just say right I'm going to start going to bed at 11 45 for the rest of the week that feels achievable rather than going I'm going to just switch up everything at once and then finding it's just too much so baby steps getting them formed embedded part of your routine so they become second nature and then moving on to something else I think a lot of women try and bite off too much you know they see the latest diet plan or whatever and they go oh, I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that and then they just don't have the energy or the they've not done the prep to really take it on properly which is why people come to me for support often it's just to get you know they want someone to hold their hand through it and just take them through how you actually get from A to B um but yeah everything you said is absolutely bang on there's a big cultural shift going on at the moment I think which is really important but it's interesting what you say about you know 1950s housewife back when you know it was a full day's work to cook and clean and do the life admin and look after the children and now we're fitting those eight hours around full-time jobs somehow I mean you know if you do the maths it just doesn't add up does it <laughs> and one one of the things is we talk about sleep especially with perimenopause well one of the symptoms of perimenopause is broken sleep it's mm -hmm. waking up with the sweats or just waking up and so it's a, it's a lovely, the idea of eight hours solid sleep is great and it's balancing the, the eight hours mm. and trying not to have all that broken sleep. And I guess this is where the work comes in, the, the nutrition, the finding out the balancing and, and all that. Yeah. So it, it is, it is needs to be worked on and maybe having that routine will help with not having all that broken sleep which yeah. doesn't help when you're trying to get more sleep yeah exactly and when i mean broken sleep is a classic one and like you've mentioned night sweats but also you know if if you're say for example through perimenopause say if you end up in a slightly estrogen dominant position because your liver's struggling maybe you're relying on wine to you know to unwind in the evening maybe having coffee too late your liver's under a lot of pressure so your sort of sensitivity to things like alcohol which you know people think alcohol makes them sleep better but it doesn't alcohol just sedates you it doesn't actually put you into that REM sleep that you mentioned before and I think a lot of women like I said no judgment when they get into perimenopause they can start relying on caffeine alcohol sugar just to help lift their mood get through the day um, and then coupled with the fact that the hormones are all over the place is a recipe for disaster when it comes to sleep. So from a, if someone came through with bad sleep, it would definitely be looking at, yeah, diet, caffeine and alcohol, wind down routine, and then herbal supplementation can be really, really supportive. Things like magnesium, ashwagandha, other herbs that together can really help with that, just bringing down that immune, that sort of like stress response. Cause a lot of women I think are just going to bed and their cortisol is still, you know, raging and they're expecting to just sort of like fall asleep really quickly which you can do when you're younger but it just takes a little bit more care it needs a little bit more nurturing I think when you're going through that um, when you're going through the transition so but there's lots to be done there are lots of strategies that you can put in place I would like to bring us a little let's say forward or backwards uh, whichever way you look at it and I would like to know what you wish the younger women would know in their 20s and 30s who might be thinking oh perimenopause it's far away from me that's something that i have good 10 15 20 years i don't need to worry about that but what do you wish they knew and what habits 
you wish they start implementing earlier on in their in their lives and their journeys that would then lead them into handling perimenopause menopause life in general um, i've only started learning really learning about you know the female cycle and periods and my hormones only in the past couple of years and every time i learn something i'm like why we don't talk about this more, why I haven't been educated properly. And I love that lots of what you do and the approach you have is so much about education. But what would be your advice for the younger listeners, for the younger women in their 20s, 30s right now thinking, well, perimenopause far away, but maybe there is something that in terms of their habits, in terms of their nutrition, they could start doing right now. That is a really good question. So I think there's two angles to that. So first of all, in terms of the angle of, you know, prepping themselves for perimenopause, I guess, um, we keep going back to it. So I think when you're in your 20s, you can sort of feel like you can get away with murder, right? You can sort of, you know, sacrifice and sleep, drink too much. just and, and you can to a degree, because at the end of the day, your body's younger, it recovers quicker, it's a lot more efficient. Um, I think for me, probably just understanding... I think the big one for me is probably stress because our, you know, the, the sort of 20, 30 year old, well, say I'm in the 30s, 20 year old generation, their normal, what they're exposed to on a day to day basis is so different. Like, you know, social media, you know, they're, that wasn't around when I was in my 20s, but now everyone is permanently accessible and they're exposed to all sorts of, I don't know misconceptions and you know Instagram can be a great place for some people but I think it can be a very dangerous place if people are kind of using it for the wrong things and taking everything at face value so I think for the sort of younger generation I think for me it's I think this whole we keep going back to self-care and I think always making sure that I think finding passions outside of their job, finding something that they love, that they really connect with, whether that's a hobby or making sure they have a really good quality group of friends rather than this whole, you know, how many followers and friends you got on Instagram and social media. It's like, they're not your group. You know, do you have even like three people who you trust implicitly that you can talk to openly? And I think the big thing that we're coming back to here is that people aren't talking about it people are not talking about their hormones and their periods and how they're feeling because they just feel like it's their lot that they're just someone that struggles with it you know I want to have open conversations with my daughters when they're old enough I mean they're three and one now so not quite yet but when they get to like I don't know nine ten I want to be having these conversations with them I want to be talking to them about periods and making sure that they feel comfortable saying when something's not quite right and making them feel empowered and I actually did a talk on this on Sunday um, about how women's periods are just very much looked about as, you know, basically a period is, you know, the, the whole concept is to whether you can get pregnant or not. That's the reason we have periods. And if you don't get pregnant, then it's a failed period. And then you go in the cycle over and over again. But what um, I've been talking to women about is using your cycle and feeling empowered that you are a woman. You know, women have been chosen by nature to bring life into the world you know our cycle is powerful and our energy changes throughout our cycle we have we have phases where we're creative we have phases where we collaborate and communicate better and it's helping I want young girls to just feel empowered because when I got taught about periods I was terrified I got given a leaflet 
full of products and symptoms and you know don't do sport and don't swim and don't do all these things because you know your period's going to be a burden I we, we need to change that narrative we want young girls to get educated on their period and go I'm so glad I'm female this is great you know I'm really looking forward to my reproductive years rather than see them as you know something to be something to be sort of I don't know managed and put up with until they get to perimenopause which throws a, a load of new challenges so I think the other angle to your question for me is when women are, I see a lot of women struggling with things like PCOS, endometriosis, really bad PMS, and they're just not getting any support. For years and years, every month they're struggling. And that is not right. That is just not something that anybody should be putting up with, but they're getting either fobbed off by the doctor because again, this whole common versus normal, you know, one in 10 women have PCOS, hence, it's just you're just one of the unlucky ones almost <laughs> so I think education from primary school through to secondary school um talking having support groups you know just I don't know like having just talking to your friends about it I don't remember talking to my friends about my period about periods at all you just sort of it happened and you were like oh, okay it's happened um and I, I was lucky I've never had any issues with mine but I know some of my friends who since the age of 12 13 have been battling with symptoms they've tried different pills they've been just thrown on different medications that haven't worked and I think not that I would want women to be focusing on perimenopause in their 20s but I think just from a general health perspective is just if there's something going on with your hormones in your 20s it stands to reason that by the time you get to perimenopause you're going to find it challenging because you just it's going to be a lot more symptoms if you already got imbalanced hormones when you get to perimenopause it stands to reason that you're probably going to have a bit of a tougher time so if something is going on, get help. As soon as, don't accept that what you're going through, you know, being bedridden for two days a month with period pain is normal. You know, bleeding through your clothes every hour is not normal. Um, so I think just feeling brave and advocating for themselves and insisting they get help. Um, another really encouraging thing in the news this week actually was that there's gonna be mandatory female health training for all new medics. So new trainee doctors, there's going to be more training on menopause, PCOS, endometriosis, which I think at the minute it's skimmed over at best it, as part of that medical training, um, which again is really encouraging that there's going to be a bit more, you know, GPs and primary healthcare providers going to be a bit more informed on this stuff when women actually go and ask for help. Um, so yeah, I think the message there is just, it's never too soon to start looking after yourself, I guess never too soon and I think 20s 30s you know making sure you're sleeping you're not giving yourself too much to do you've got good boundaries in place it's all the basics really I mean none of it sounds like rocket science but it's so hard to do all of these things consistently I think and what about educating boys and educating mm. men um I mean I come from that generation where's you know oh that time of the month again is that why you lose losing the plot and i'm not going into the pharmacy to get you that, yeah. that stuff it's embarrassing mm. don't talk to me about it it's embarrassing mm. and i mean it's not just about educating women i think it's about educating men and and mm. boys to say you know this does happen mm. be supportive or know what's going on because you know when you become a man and you want to have kids where are you going to go you're going to go to the woman and and you know get married have kids you know the the, the the usual thing that that you do but 
it's also not just educating the girls. I think it's educating mm -hmm. the boys as well, is that they understand what their mothers are going through, their sisters are going through, potentially girlfriends, wives, partners, yes. whatever. Yes. It's, it's being there instead of just saying, oh, is it that time of the month again? Is that why you're losing the plot? Just yeah. deal with it. That's yeah, it's, it's bringing the guys into the fold a bit more, isn't it? And, you know, helping them because they can be a great support, you know, if they understand what's going on. But I think, like you said, women, you know, historically haven't felt comfortable talking to the men. And I think maybe it's a preconception or otherwise that men don't want to hear about it. But I think we need to move towards just open discussion in general, women to women, women to men, their partners in the workplace. What I really want to start trying to do on my side of the business is to start doing women's health workshops in the in the workplace and keep the you know they're not just for women they can be open to anyone but it's an interesting one and you know trying to get trying to bring men into that conversation almost helping them realize why why it's in their best interests to not understand what's going on <laughs> you probably have an easier time <laughs> but no that is really that is a really important part of it and I think I mean, I don't know what kids are taught at school these days, but it was very separate. You know, girls get taught this, boys get taught this. And then you went into year nine biology, which it was all very scientific. It was all about, you know, how to make a baby. You know, here's what happens. There was no talk of why, you know, the female cycle in its, on its own merits, like what's all these amazing things that are happening. It was almost just egg released, sperm, yes, no, period, baby, done, you know? <laughs> so it's... um. I think there's, there's a way to go, but I think it's it's really reassuring for me that the conversations seem to be starting. You know, Davina's doing all her shows on menopause and it does feel like women are getting braver and feeling more comfortable talking more openly about it. But I still think there is this fear that if a woman, say she is in the workplace and, you know, she's having a, a you know bad day of a period, that she would never feel comfortable saying that, especially to a male boss, because it's this sign of weakness. It's like, oh, you're having your period. It's making you less, you know, able or efficient, which is where we go into the whole tapping into your cycle. And women can actually be incredibly productive, creative throughout their cycle. At certain, you know, when your hormones are rising, you can just be absolutely gunning for it and you can be the most productive person in the room. But then when we actually go through our period, we do need to sort of go inward slightly and just focus our energy slightly differently. Um, so there's a bit, there's, there is a big education piece there. Um, but I think, like I said, doing this podcast, getting the conversation started and getting people comfortable having that, having that conversation is really important first step. I think it's the whole changing the narrative and really opening up the conversation about the different aspects of the female cycle. Because for me, I always have in my mind when I open up this conversation with someone, there is the feminine products like tampons and stuff like that, the commercials that tell you, well, where you're your period, you can do anything, you can be still active and anything. Like, why Why should I? Like, why are you pushing me to be active and live my best life when... At this time of my cycle, I should rather focus on more of the self-care and maybe not go partying and not go on, you know, big bike rides or whatever the advertising is showing us. I think it's all about a conversation of really seeing how the different aspects of the cycles go. And I love your perspective on bringing it into the workplace because I think we're now only just learning how much the traditional workplace is designed for men how the day-to-day, week-on-week, month-on-month 
workplace is designed for a male's system where it's a lot more stable or a lot more same and it doesn't reflect that you know women might require would need and be a lot more efficient and productive and creating at certain jobs one week and at different jobs another week and we would be able to then get a lot happier healthier more productive and creative workforce if we actually tweaked our workspace and how we think about working day week and month to suit more the female cycle yeah I mean, it's, it's, it's a really good one because, you know, we do operate, our whole society operates on a, I want to say the male cycle, it's the 24 hour cycle. So the so of which obviously women operate, we have two cycles. So we have the 24 hour cycle, which men and women both operate on, but then obviously we have our monthly cycle as well, but men have a very simple, you know, 24 hours, rinse, repeat until they die, effectively, <laughs> nothing changes. Um, and you're right, the whole, you know, how we work, this whole sort of constant productivity you know there's never any change to how productive and you know your energy levels are always the same your productivity is always the same your creativity is always the same whereas women thankfully don't operate on quite a, sim- a simple level we have like peaks and troughs and we're good at we're, we naturally lean towards certain activities at different points in the month and I think we can use that and we should be using that and women should be encouraged to use that. And, you know, if you think if you had a group of women who are all cycling at different points, if you just think of all of the different things that they're bringing to the table, it's really, really powerful. But how to sort of embed that. And I think, because I do try and get clients to sync with their cycles as well as they can. It's not being dogged about it and saying, you know, sorry, guys, I'm menstruating this week. So just don't give me any work. But it's getting a bit more you know in terms of your own schedule just looking ahead and going right I need to plan this really big meeting that I need to chair there's me 20 people in it I'm going to do that while I'm ovulating or maybe during my early luteal phase because that's when my energy is going to be highest I'm not going to plan it for day one of my period because I know I'm just going to be feeling a little bit insular I'm not going to want to be around people and it's just tapping into that and to the extent you can control it start looking at when you start planning things get all these social events dates parties seeing friends around the middle and then just start doing more like I said you know journaling gentler activity near the end of your cycle and it's not about getting it perfect but it's about knowing what you're going to be good at at what point in the month and honoring that to a degree um, but the workplace thing is going to be a slow burner but I think it's it's positive and it's encouraging where the conversation's going. So we're slowly getting to the end of a wonderful conversation with you, Lucy, but there's still a couple of questions I have. And one is more specifically looking into nutrition and some of the trends that might be out there that specifically women might be, you know, more drawn towards because of their weight management, because of their overall health management. And there will be lots of trendy diets or trendy ways of eating. Then I would like to explore with you what you think and what you know, what you recommend to do or not do or consider when it comes to certain things like implementing fasting. Intermittent fasting is a big thing for weight management and health and all the health benefits that are being now broadcasted, how super helpful it is. But again, is it designed, all these research that we now are seeing, is it designed for female body or respecting female hormones or is it something that is now generalized but actually females should be a little bit more careful around certain trends and certain diets certain approaches to their nutrition 
That is a really good question. So I think particularly when it comes to weight management, a lot of women with the best intentions end up falling into some form of yo-yo dieting routine where they might try whatever diet it might be, whether it's calorie restriction, cutting out food groups, you know, low carb, low fat, keto, whatever it might be. The issue and what the research pretty much categorically says around these kind of diets is that within, if you do any of these diets and then, you know, look at the weight over the next two years, in most cases, the weight will go back on plus a little bit extra. Now, the issue here is that a lot of these diets are not sustainable ways of eating. They're not ways that you could eat in theory for 20 years, for 20 years. You know, it's like, I'm just going to do 12 weeks of really low carb, 800 calories a day. You will lose weight. But what also happens is that your body starts to get really efficient. So let's just do do a quick example. So say if your body burns 1700 calories a day, just by what you're doing at the moment, what you're eating, you know, your breathing, your digestive system, whatever it is, you know, your daily movement. If you suddenly start eating 800 calories a day, what will happen first is that your liver will release all of its energy stores, which is what you normally see that initial weight loss is actually water. You probably lose like four or five pounds in the first two, three days, maybe. What then happens over time, you will lose weight because you're operating at a deficit, but then your body will start to go, right, I'm now, I've now got 800 calories, so I need to start compensating. So what am I going to do? Your reproductive health will probably start to get impacted first because that's not, you don't need that to survive. Your brain fog will kick in because your brain's not getting enough energy. Uh, Your blood pressure might get impacted. Your digestive system might slow down. Your energy will plummet. So say over that 12 weeks, you run 800 calories a day and your body has managed to get down to operating on 1100, right? Because it's made everything really efficient because you're not feeding it properly. The end of the 12 weeks, you go back up to what you were doing before, 1800 calories or whatever we said. Your body's still operating at 1100 because it managed to get super efficient while you weren't eating enough. So what's going to happen now? You've now got a 700 calorie surplus while your body then reacclimatizes to the fact that you're now eating more. And this is exactly what you're dieting. That is the basic concept behind your dieting. And the issue is that there is no, almost after the diet itself, there is very little support on what people should do next. You know, after that 12 weeks of whatever it is that you've been doing, how do I now eat to sustain this weight loss that I've managed to achieve? Um, And you will have, I mean, there's lots of nutritionists and various wellness practitioners touting their own diet plans and ways of eating which they say work and again it's very personalized just because it works for one person doesn't work for someone else and I think with perimenopause particularly um weight loss is not very good for your hormone health at all you need to be making sure you're eating plenty of protein low GI carbohydrates time restricted eating I am a fan of now that's slightly different to intermittent fasting so time restricted eating is when you limit the window on a day-to-day basis over when you can eat. So generally 12 hours or less is the target. So you want to be having 12 hours fasting every day, which, you know, call it 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. is a pretty, that's what most clients find easiest to do. So you're cutting out that evening snacking and making sure breakfast is maybe pushed out slightly. Um, Because it gives your digestive system time to cleanse, spring clean itself and sort of like get, and basically become a lot more efficient. so I'm not a fan of fatty diets. I'm going to be pretty blunt about that. Um, I think reducing sugar, 
switching carbs from refined to low GI is a good one. Making sure you're having plenty of protein with every single meal, a quarter of your plate is another really good one. Um, but unfortunately women especially are bombarded with you know amazing results and you know you can look like this in six weeks and to put it bluntly if your weight's been increasing for the last six years you're not going to get rid of it in six weeks it doesn't work like that you need to do something sustainable over a longer period of time and then you will get the results that you want wonderful i really really enjoyed this conversation and i know that we could go for many more hours and many more questioning with natalie but i think that um i have one last question and knowing that you mentioned that you read quite a lot of books and we both with natalie are proper bookworms and i hope that our listeners enjoy a good book too so i wanted to ask if you have any recommendations on reading that people who are interested in these topics be it on the side of nutrition, the side of nutrition versus hormones, be it on the perimenopause. Are there any good books that you could recommend our listeners and ourselves to explore if we want to learn more about this? Yeah, so I think just in terms of, I've talked a lot today about cycling and like working in sync with your cycles. There's an amazing book called In the Flow by Elisa Vitti. Um, which is incredible. It's just as relevant for perimenopausal women. If you're cycling, it's absolutely, it, it's just an incredible book. Um, and I think it's got lots of very practical advice in there on nutrition, movement, self-care, and how you can sort of build a plan around your cycle to make sure that you're doing like the best activities and eating the best foods, depending on where you are in your cycle. Um, so yeah, that'd probably be my, uh, my top recommendation. Wonderful. I think that I want to say a huge thank you, Lucy, for being here and sharing so openly, giving such a great advice to you know, not only women of a certain age, but to anyone and everyone and bring, helping us to shine a little bit more light into the whole topic of nutrition, hormones and how it is in life with, you know, with women around. So thank you so much. And before we close off, Could you let our listeners know where they can find you if they want to connect with you, work with you, learn more from you? So it would be a good time, good place for them to find you online. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, it's been an absolute pleasure being on the podcast. So thank you for inviting me. Um, so yeah, so I'm on Instagram and my handle is at Lucy P Nutrition. Um, my website is www.lucypatelnutrition.co.uk. Um, or you can pop me an email on info at lucypatelnutrition.co.uk. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Are there any topics you would like us to cover? If you enjoyed listening, do subscribe and share into your live podcast.